Hey everyone, um, I'm incredibly glad that you can be with us today. If you're a Woodbury Church member, we're so excited that you're watching. If you're a visitor, we are glad that you're here. Um, clearly, I wish that we could all be together in the same room. I wish we could be singing together and praying together and shaking hands. And that is just not able to happen right now. However, it is still Easter Sunday. Jesus has still risen from the dead, and we can still celebrate that fact, even if we're celebrating uh, from a safe distance. Uh, I wanted to start off by just kind of sharing something with you that I thought you, you might appreciate. Uh, some of you know that, uh, that our youth group uh, hosts a yearly youth rally called Supernanza. Uh, and it's just one of those crazy, silly, made-up names that we've been using for years. And every year at Supernanza, we try to print something to give the kids that come. Usually it's a t-shirt or a water bottle. Uh, but a couple years ago, we decided to print fanny packs. We thought that would be kind of silly. And so we printed a bunch of Supernanza fanny packs and gave them out to all the kids. And we just had a ton of them left over. Well, a couple weeks ago, one of our members who is a respiratory therapist, so they are in a field of work that uh, there are a lot of people who are struggling right now. They reached out to us and they said, this is going to be the strangest question, but I don't suppose you have access to any fanny packs, do you? And I said, are you kidding? I have so many fanny packs. And so we donated all our fanny packs to this, uh, this clinic. So there's a bunch of doctors and nurses and therapists who are wandering around the <laughs> their clinic with super Nanza fanny packs on. So I just love that. Um, I hope that that is something that could bring uh, just a little sliver of brightness to your day. Uh, we're going to start off this morning with a strange question. And the question is, have you ever experienced an earthquake? Now, I realize that maybe this is why some of you actually have moved to Minnesota. You don't have anything to do with wildfires or tsunamis or earthquakes. You're fine with snow well into May, but you're not, you want to avoid all that other stuff. Now, an earthquake is an incredibly strange experience because if the ground has a reputation for one thing, it's being solid. It doesn't move. And so when it moves around on you, it's incredibly disconcerting. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to handle this. You're, you're not sure what's going on because the one thing that you thought you could trust is betraying you. The world right now is experiencing a seismic shift. Things that we assumed were solid are moving under our feet. And we are seeing the full range of reactions to it. Some of you are minimizing it. You're frustrated with everybody's overreacting, people just need to, need to relax, it's not that big of a deal. Some of you are panicking. You flew right by caution and, and just went straight into full fear mode, and it's, it's doomsday prepping. It's guns and gold and ammo. You're ready for the apocalypse. Some of you are bored. There's no sports. You're watching football games from 30 years ago because you don't have anything else to do. Some of you have been preparing for this moment for years. You've been eating takeout and watching Netflix for years, and you were ready <laughs> for this stay-at-home order. Some of you are busier than you have ever been. You're overwhelmed, and you want this to go back to normal. Some of you are grieving over the loss of things that you've had to miss or cancel. I, I ha my heart goes out to so many of our senior high students because of all the things that they're not getting to experience. 
the very day that uh, this all kind of started and, and everything started to get shut down was my son Liam's eighth birthday party. And I know in the big scheme of things, it may not be as important at what, uh, as what other people has mi have missed, but he only turned eight once, and, and I'm grieving with him for the loss of being able to celebrate and looking forward to being able to celebrate with he and his friends when this is all over. Some of you are annoyed with me right now. You're thinking, okay, Patrick, we hear about this stuff every day, all day on the news. Can you just stick to the Bible? I mean, come on, it's Easter Sunday. Talk about Jesus. Listen, I could not disagree with you more. We too often think about this stuff from a political or a social point of view. I think we need to more deeply consider what a disciple looks like in light of uh, what our world is experiencing and what, what is going on right now and how the resurrection of Jesus Christ impacts that. I think it's so important. Now, I bring all this up because I want to relate to another moment in history that was a seismic shift where everything changed. And I want to start with a confession. I grew up in the church, and I did not get the resurrection. I, I didn't understand it. I mean, I, I knew I was supposed to be impressed. I knew that when we got to Easter Sunday, we were supposed to be excited, and it, it was a wonderful thing, and we were supposed to act like it was a big deal. I knew it was a miraculous event, but so are so many other things in the Bible. I didn't understand exactly why this one mattered more than anything else. I mean, to me, it kind of reminded me of calculus. I, I mean, I just didn't understand how it was supposed to apply to, like, my everyday life. What does the resurrection mean to me on an average Tuesday morning? So today... We're going to read through a short chapter of scripture. And the story that we read, despite how poorly I may deliver it, it, it doesn't need any bells and whistles. It doesn't need me to scream and shout and holler. This story has the potential to completely transform your life. And so my prayer as I share this with you today is that the Holy Spirit would stir in us and transform us based on this news, news that we already know. Now, if you've been following along with our final week videos online, then you're kind of prepared for the verse that we're going to start in today. You'll be ready for this chapter. If not, you can go back and watch those. This narrative that we're going to look at today focuses on two women. It focuses on Mary Magdalene, and then it just says, the other Mary. Evidently, the readers, uh, the first readers, knew exactly who the other Mary was. But we've got Mary and the other Mary. So if you grab your Bibles, I think it would be so helpful to pull your phone out or actually go dig your Bible out of the closet and flip open to Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. And we're going to start there. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 1. After the Sabbath. Now, this wasn't just another Sabbath day. This was the Passover Sabbath. This is one of the biggest Sabbaths of the year. This is like Christmas Day. You, people would travel to be with their relatives and their friends. It's supposed to be this huge celebration. But in this particular Sabbath, the followers of Jesus were rushing to get his body buried before sundown when the Sabbath started because you could not bury a body on Sabbath according to Jewish law. So this was going to be completely, this was going to overshadow their celebration. It was going to just completely change the way that they thought about this moment. At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And I imagine this had to feel so final. The game clock hit zero. The buzzer sounded. 
There's no comeback. This isn't one of these movies where the hero is going over a cliff and you think he's done for, but at the last minute he reaches out and he grabs the very end of the rope. And no, this is over. And I think something we know, but we need to acknowledge, and it's it's just hard for us as humans to accept loss and and the finality of death. Our brains just kind of seem to rebel against it. It's why we keep making movies where the hero dies in one and somehow he's just miraculously back in the next. Jesus' body is lifeless and it is still. His skin is cold to the touch. Air is not filling his lungs. His heart is not pumping blood. It's over. And Mary and the other Mary were trying to come to terms with this new reality. And so they're walking to the tomb to process this information. Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. Things begin to change. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord from, uh, came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards who were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now imagine this. Mary and the other Mary are walking to the tomb. They turn a corner, and here's what they see. This platoon of guards that had just passed out on the ground. What is going on? The tomb is not only opened, but sitting on top of the open door of the tomb is this bright, shiny angel. I kind of love that detail. He's sitting there, and it's like he's waiting for them. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. And this is one of my kind of low-key favorite things in Scripture because every time something objectively terrifying happens in the Bible, they're always being told, don't be afraid. God shows up, don't be afraid. An angel shows up, don't be afraid. I mean, come on. This is scary stuff. In verse 5, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. FYI, I know the Jesus, the one that was crucified. Yep, that's the one you're looking for. He was crucified. That did happen. Verse 6, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. Now, Jesus had repeatedly told people that he was coming back, and they did not get it. He would say something like, in three days, I'll go to Jerusalem, I'll die, and in three days, I'll rise again. And they were like, okay, Jesus, that's nice, what's for lunch, what's going on today? And I totally understand why they didn't get it. There are no categories for anything like this. There's no frame of reference. It's like when your children are small and they ask questions that have very grown-up answers. You do your best to put them in terms that they'll understand, but, I mean, there's just sometimes nowhere for this information to go. And that's why some of you still think your childhood dog is happy roaming some farm somewhere. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, the angel, the angel who is speaking, offers this invitation to Mary and the other Mary, and he says, come and see the place where he lay, where Jesus lay. And so the angel is saying, just in case, this this whole platoon of passed out soldiers on the ground or the angel sitting on the rock isn't compelling evidence enough, in case you're still skeptical, well, go ahead, come inside the tomb and take a look. You'll see that Jesus isn't there. Verse 7, then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Now, this is a weird and strange situation, but they also know that it's good. They're scared, but they know that something wonderful is happening. So they've seen the angel, they've seen the empty tomb, 
Now they're on their way to tell the disciples, but there's a little uh, hiccup before all that happens. Verse 9, suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. Now greetings is literally a basic first century version of hello. Now I, I have to wonder, did Jesus think through this? Did he think, how am I going to introduce myself to Mary and Mary? Did he practice saying hello in the mirror? Did he say, hello? No, 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 that's too bright. Hello? No, that's too serious. I mean, did he, do you just clear your throat to let them know that you're, you're there? It's hard for me not to read this without sensing immense amounts of suppressed joy. Jesus knows he has incredible news, and, and I can imagine he's trying to hold it in, but he can't because he knows how they're going to react. He knows they're going to be overjoyed to see him. He knows the sorrow they've been going through, and he knows the joy that they're about to experience. Verse, uh, second half of verse 9 and verse 10, they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, just to note, this is something that the early readers would have known that we don't, just like they knew the identity of the other Mary. Galilee is about 80 miles away from Jerusalem where Jesus is buried. So he's sending them on a bit of a hike. I mean, this isn't just like, uh, it, it, they had to take Mary and Mary's word for it. They hadn't seen him yet. They had to just assume that they were right. And so they go on this 80-mile journey. Verse 16, then the 11 disciples, of course, Judas is not with them anymore. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And, and I've got to think that this is one of the most relatable scriptures in this whole story. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, if you are writing propaganda... For Jesus, if you're writing propaganda to try to make people believe something that wasn't true is true, this is not a line that you would include in the official gift shop version of the story. If the Bible is propaganda, it is terrible at it. You don't put stuff like this in the official account. You don't say that 11 of the people that had followed you around, that some of them doubted. You tow the party line and you say, everything is great. Everyone is happy. Everything is wonderful. Everyone is smiling. I love that the scriptures themselves allow space for us to come to terms with what it is claiming. Scripture understands that what it's telling us is something unbelievable. And it's not that we can just jump headlong into this belief. Some people need to kick the tires a bit before they buy. And, and the Bible is saying, that's great. There is room for you here, too. I think we as disciples need to understand that God is much more gracious and patient with the genuine struggles of faith than we imagine him to be. He is, he's ready. He's okay for us to explore and think and wonder. Okay, we've now gotten to the last line in the story and the last line in the entire book of Matthew. And we Christians love this verse. We are big fans of this last verse. But like we've talked about in this previous rebellious Bible series, sometimes when we try to grasp a verse outside of the story in which it's placed, then we can kind of lose the meaning. These are the first words from the resurrected Christ. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. <laughs> yes, you were dead, now you're not. 
The floor is yours. Whatever you say goes. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And what he's saying is everyone needs to hear this. This, this, this truth matters for everyone, no matter their race or culture or background. Maybe we should occasionally bring this up with people that we care about and people that we love. I, we are, as people, as disciples, often so much more brave with our political or social views than we are with our faith. I mean, the stuff people will post online. And, and I know I've heard people say, well, I'm just worried what people will think of me. Well, listen, with some of the stuff that you're posting, your reputation really is not at stake here. So go ahead and talk about Jesus. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the second half. This is what Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think it's so fascinating that he places baptism right there because baptism is a way of participating in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. We are identifying with the resurrected life of Christ through baptism. That's cool, and we could talk about that for a long time. Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. All those, uh, all those sermons that you heard about loving your neighbor and, and praying for those who persecute you and going the extra mile. Teach everybody those things. When I was younger, I did love doing sort of those like adrenaline, adventurous, exciting things. Um, I remember being about uh, 14 and we were swimming in the ocean and there was this cliff that went right into the ocean that you could jump off to. And I thought of myself as brave or I'd like to think of myself as brave. But as we approached this cliff and as we got right to the edge, I thought, yeah, I, I'm, I might want to sit this one out. And my friend got a running start and he jumped and I watched him go down and waited for his head to kind of pop back up over the surface. And once I saw that he had made it, once I saw his head break the surface of the water, I thought, okay, well, maybe it's safe. Maybe it's okay to do. But I had to see somebody else do it first. I'll confess, as a kid who grew up around the church, I, maybe I was desensitized to the resurrection. Maybe it's the, the experience of watching a movie where the twist ending has been spoiled for you, or maybe some of you watching those recorded uh, athletic events where you already know the outcome and it's just not quite as exciting, quite as compelling. I mean, I knew I was supposed to be excited about the resurrection, but maybe it was like getting a Christmas gift you didn't really want, but you knew you had to pretend to be excited. Yay, resurrection. But here is what 17-year-old Patrick completely missed. The world we live in, the world today, the world right now is shouting at us to prioritize our own self-interests, to accumulate in the pursuit of luxury and ease, to operate from fear, to elevate our sense of safety over anything or anyone else. That is the message of the world. That is what the world is trying to form in us. Jesus comes along and says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And then he teaches us to, to engage in activities like forgive when you've been wronged, to let it go, to pursue generosity, especially when it costs you. He says, don't listen to fear. Elevate others at the expense of yourself. And listen, if we believe that this life is all we have, we will be frozen by fear, the fear of self-preservation. We won't be able to follow Jesus because the way of following Jesus involves sacrifice and denial. 
If we believe that life is a limited commodity, we're going to be tempted to spend it all on ourselves. If, however, like Christ, we believe that there is an endless supply of life, we are free to generously spread it around. We don't have to hoard. We don't have to accumulate. We can give and we can give generously because we have life and life abundantly. So, do we truly believe that the author and perfecter of our faith leapt off the cliff first and jumped back up the other side? Do we believe that? Do we believe he made it? Do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? If, if we don't, then, wow, that's a whole other thing we could talk about. But here's a more important question for us right here, right now. Do we believe that we will rise from the dead? Our lives should get completely reevaluated in light of this new reality. We do not have to react like everyone else around us. I mean, we share the same reality. We're all reading the same headlines. We're all reading the same news, but we should have a different response because of the resurrection. But I want to show you what Jesus leaves us with. It's the final line in the book. It's Matthew 28, verse 20, and he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Listen, I am with you, says Jesus, in the age of COVID-19, in the age of economic uncertainty, in the age of fear, in the age of isolation, in the age of boredom, in the age of busyness. I am with you. Why? Because he rose from the dead. That truth needs to sink deeply into our lives that truth needs to transform our day. That truth has been transforming the world for thousands of years, and we need to let our lives be a part of that.